Welcome to Voices in Health Law, the podcast for the American Bar Association Health Law section. I am your host, Stephanie Dorville, and my guest today is Joe Metro from Reed Smith LLP. And this will be our second episode on the Inflation Reduction Act's reforms. But before we get into that content, I'm really curious, and I know our listeners are curious, how did you get into health law, Joe? Strictly by accident uh, is, is how I would put it. I uh, Way back in 1989, I was going to be a government contracts lawyer. And literally the first day that I had come in to the firm that I had interviewed with, the guys that I had interviewed with said they were off to another firm and to have a wonderful summer. So uh, that's at that point, the uh, drug rebate law was being passed. The Medicare catastrophic law was being passed in 1988, 89. And, and I did a little bit of rate litigation after that. And I thought it was It was pretty neat. So it's always a good lesson for people to be open for doors that open around you. And because here I am 30 years later doing drug pricing stuff. I'm still coming to terms with the fact that 89 was almost 30 years ago. But I mean, that's been health law for everybody. It seems that, you know, there's a new law, people get into it at the ground floor and they make a career out of it. So that's what keeps me going is there's always something new. (laughs) Yes. And you know, I'm sure that anybody who has questions about how to get into health law, would you be willing for the, for us to share your information with them so that oh, they sure, can? Sure, you? absolutely. Awesome. So, in our first session, we discussed the IRA's Medicare inflation rebates for Part B and Part D drugs. It seems that there have been some developments since our first episode. So, any thoughts on that? Sure thing. As a matter of fact, there have, and I think it was almost the day or the day after we we recorded our first session. CMS actually issued two memoranda. Uh, discussing how they were going to be implementing the inflation rebate provisions. They provide a nice overview of the process that the agency is going to follow. Uh, and they also specifically either address or seek comments on a couple of the items that we noted in the last podcast, things like the application to skin substitutes, 340B unit identification, Medicare Advantage utilization, uh, things like that. Public comments are going to be open until March 11th, 2023, although it's important to remember this is not a formal rulemaking. If you are looking for more information on this, CMS's uh, newsroom has a press press release on this matter through which you can get to the memoranda and the comment issue. And we'll definitely include the links in the liner notes to the podcast. So, Let's move on to part two. Let's talk about Medicare drug benefit design issues. What did the IRA do there? At a high level, it did two things, two major benefit redesigns. First, it imposes limits on insulin cost sharing under parts B and D for Medicare. And then there's a substantial redesign of the Medicare part D benefit. On the insulin side, it's fairly straightforward. The IRA will limit beneficiary cost sharing for insulin to $35 with no deductible beginning July 1 of 23 for Part B insulin. And then as of January 1 of 2023 for insulin covered under Medicare Part D. The Medicare Part D benefit, the second reform, that's a little more complicated. It has a number of uh, fairly substantial elements to it, including elimination of cost sharing in the so-called catastrophic stage of the benefit in 2024, capping out-of-pocket spending at $2,000 in 2025, eliminating the so-called donut hole in 2025, a new manufacturer Part D rebate program, reductions to catastrophic reinsurance subsidies for Part D plans, and then limits on payments to Part D for Part D drugs to the negotiated prices for to the 
maximum fare prices when drug price negotiation kicks in in 2026. So that's a mouthful, and we'll we, we'll turn to that in a little bit, I guess. Well, it's so funny because I remember talking a lot about the donut hole in 2000. Three-ish. I remember this uh, in my healthcare economics class. So this is, I'm, I'm glad it's going away, but you know, it's, it's going to be a tough road to hoe to get that actually, actually get rid of it. And, um, Absolutely. And there's been progress made as through some of the coverage gap rebates and the link, things like that. But there are some nice aspects to the benefit design here. No doubt about it. Very patient friendly. Yeah. Actually, didn't we have a program to cap Medicare insulin cost sharing? Wasn't that, you know, we talked about it in the last episode a little bit, but what's the difference? Well, we did, we did have one. It was a demonstration program since 21, goes through, through 2023. And in essence, it was a voluntary program that provided a $35 cap for many insulin products under Part D. The IRA reforms are a little different in a couple of respects. First, they don't have any Part D coverage mandate for the product, so the, the plans will be able to continue to contract for rebates and manage formularies and things like that. Second, the manufacturer wasn't isn't required under the IRA provisions to sort of subsidize it directly with pricing or rebates. And third, it, it really was limited just to Part D rather than B and D like we now have. The other thing I would just note is this current program, the IRA program, you know, we talk about the $35 cap beginning in 2026, that cap can even go lower to either 25% of the Part D plan payment to the pharmacy or the so-called negotiated price, uh, or 25% of the negotiated maximum fair price if that happens in 2026. The one thing I would just emphasize too, uh, because there's been a lot of noise around the insulin, is I would just emphasize these are programs that are limited to Medicare Parts B and D. Originally, there were proposals to have them apply to commercial insurance as well. Those didn't get enacted, but there continue to be champions for those programs on the Hill. Yes, I know there have been a lot of noise about price capping. So what is the mechanism for capping the cost sharing? It's, it's really pretty simple, actually. It's going to apply through the normal claims adjudication process, so it'll be point of sale. The only maybe exception, if you will, to that is for Part D in the first couple of months of, uh, of this year, there's actually a, a transition provision that allows Part D plans to sort of retrospectively reimburse patients for cost sharing if they pay more than the $35 amount. So if a beneficiary goes to a pharmacy, it should be already there, or if they order it through mail order, it, the cap should already be incorporated, but... Right. I mean, it's going to occur at different speeds, but in essence, in, in the early going of, the, of this benefit year, if it's not, the patients will be entitled to a refund. So how does the IRA finance the insulin cost sharing? Yeah, as I mentioned, this, unlike a lot of these reforms, this is not something where the full cost of it is on the insulin manufacturers. You know, we talked last time about how rebates are really just to pay for, these Medicare Part D rebates are pay for. So this is not something that has kind of a linear funding mechanism. It is part of the broader Part D reform and funding. So with that set out as a baseline, let's talk about broader Medicare Part D benefit redesigns. Can you walk us through those? Yeah, as I mentioned, you know, a lot, a lot of moving parts to that. And in a lot of ways, it's sort of hard to figure out where to start. So Let's start with the way things have been, just to sort of contrast it with the, the IRA reforms. Remember, the original Part D benefit design has had a deductible, which was 500, about 500 bucks in 2023. 
an initial coverage period with 25% cost sharing, then a coverage gap or the donut hole, which originally had required 100% cost sharing, but that got closed or more or less filled with manufacturer rebates and other subsidies. And then finally, you had a catastrophic coverage period with 5% cost sharing once the patient hit an out-of-pocket out spending threshold of $7,400 in 2023. You know, maybe one of the issues that really was driving this reform was for patients taking expensive drugs, that catastrophic cost sharing could pose a real hardship. So that was the old design. What the new design does is essentially truncate the benefit into three, three phases. You continue to have an initial deductible, but it can be either waived or reduced by the plan. Second, you have an initial coverage period with 25% cost sharing, and, if, and then eventually you're gonna have, go straight into the catastrophic coverage, except rather than 5% cost sharing, you have no cost sharing beginning in 2024. And then further in 2025, there's gonna be a cap on out-of-pocket spending at $2,000, which essentially is going to accelerate catastrophic co coverage a little bit relative to you know where it has been. Now, again, that's the high level. There are other little smaller features that we probably don't have time to, to cover a lot of here. For example, no deductibles on vaccines and insulin, expansion of low-income subsidies for poorer Medicare patients, caps on premium growth, 6% per year on average, and then options to spread cost sharing over time. So again, lots of other moving parts here, but that's the high level of the major reforms is truncating it and essentially capping patients out of pocket exposure. Yeah, with you know people spending more and more on drugs to address chronic diseases, these are very important reforms. So overall, that sounds like a pretty good deal for Part D beneficiaries. Do you think it is? It is on balance, particularly for people who may require more sophisticated drugs and more expensive drugs, newer products. And in that respect, it's also probably good news, I suppose, for, you know, for continuing innovation and science is that there is a pathway for people to be able to take the products without, you know, having to, to, to really stretch. Having said that, it is important to know that there's another sort of underlying dynamic in this whole reform, which is that there, there is an incentive that's built in here to try to get the Part D plans to manage formularies and utilization, particularly for high cost drugs, a little more aggressively. So I mentioned a moment ago, there's going to be reductions in catastrophic reinsurance subsidies. There are gonna be limits on rates of increases for premiums. And you know again, that's not to say that the IRA takes all of the risk of high cost drugs and puts it on plans. It doesn't. There's, there's other subsidies and calculation methods that sort of offset that. But again, no doubt about it, there is some risk sharing here that will result in management. And so, you know, one possibility which remains to be seen is the degree to which plans may do things like having more restrictive formularies, more prior authorization or other utilization controls in place, particularly when it comes to high cost drugs. So, you know, we talked about plans, but, you know, let's dig a little bit more into the manufacturer side. So what are the new manufacturer Part B rebate requirements? Sure. Again, let's, let's do this by contrasting with the status quo. Under current law, you have so-called coverage gap rebates on non-low income subsidy utilization of brand drugs during the donut hole. 
and the amount of those rebates is actually 70% of the new negotiated price of the drug. So in other words, the current rebate program is a relatively high rebate percentage on a relatively small base of drugs and drug utilization within a plan year. The new manufacturer rebate program is sort of the opposite of that. It takes effect in 2025, and under that program, uh, manufacturers will generally pay a lower percentage, but on a greater base of utilization. So specifically, the rebate percentage will typically be 10% of the negotiated price prior to the catastrophic phase, the new catastrophic phase, and then 20% of the negotiated price after the catastrophic phase. In addition to that, the rebates will be payable on utilization of all applicable beneficiaries. So again, not just low income subsidy utilization in the donut hole. Once you've made it through the deductible, the rebates will apply. So again, it's it's probably, uh, I'm not sure whether the they, it actually is sort of budget neutral, but it's a little smoother rebate obligation, I, I would say for manufacturers and, and it spreads it over a broader base of utilization. That's, that's really helpful to understand. So are there any modifications to pharmacy payments under the Part D redesign? Not immediately, but and this is a pretty good teaser for what will be our third session on Part D price negotiation. So at a high level, beginning in 2026, uh, CMS is going to have the ability to negotiate prices for a so-called maximum fair price for a limited number of high expenditure Part D drugs. And once that happens, the IRA the, the, will require that that negotiated price that the plan pays to the pharmacy will not be able to exceed the negotiated maximum fair price plus any dispensing fee. So in other words, the IRA is going to provide for government negotiation of the price, and then that's going to be passed through to Part D patients. And again, that's there's going to be lots of questions around how that gets implemented. That does in the sense of pharmacy compensation for dispensing fees versus product component and the like. But uh, And for patients who are taking high-cost drugs, again, it might also have the effect of reducing their copay uh, obligations as well. So, you know, again, not at the moment, but in once we get into negotiated pricing, there, there may be reductions in pharmacy payments, in essence, on a pass-through basis for the cost. Well, that makes me excited for part three. And uh, thank you so much, Joe, again, for providing your expertise today and giving us your insights on how the IRA might impact benefit design issues. So thank you to all our listeners for tuning in to this episode of Voices in Health Law and stay tuned for part three. And now a word from our sponsors. The Health Law Section would like to thank our premier sponsors for making today's podcast possible. Five-star premier sponsor, AAA, four-star premier sponsors, BRG and BMG Health, and three-star premier sponsors, Pinnacle Health.